This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. In the past 24 hours, CrowdStrike has processed more than 1 trillion security events. That's 35 million events since I started this sentence. That isn't just big data, that's CrowdStrike data. CrowdStrike's engineers are pioneering the future of the cybersecurity industry and working at an incomparable scale while solving some of the toughest challenges in technology. CrowdStrike is a team that makes a difference every day, protecting customers around the globe from the world's most sophisticated adversaries. If you want to take your passion for technology and purpose-driven work and make it a superpower, join the company that's on a mission that matters by visiting CrowdStrike.jobs. Thank you, CrowdStrike, for sponsoring this episode. Welcome back to your favorite podcast, Hacker Valley Studio. On our show, we like to bring out the amazing stories of our guests. We also find ourselves talking about the importance of storytelling when it comes to any field. As a fan of stories, I think some of the best stories are told through movies. But what if you could take the skills of an actor or an actress and apply them to your job and make seemingly uninteresting topics more interesting? Our guest, Tyler Foley, did exactly this and made safety trainings interesting. And then he went on to help others build more interesting stories. All the tips that Tyler mentioned in this episode, I'm applying to my life and I'd recommend to consider how you can apply them to yours. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have with us Tyler Foley. Tyler is an accomplished film and stage performer that has been acting since he's been since he was six years old. And today, Tyler is the managing director of Total Buy-In and the author of The Power to Speak Naked. Tyler, I'm super interested to speak to you. I know you've already had a chance to speak to Chris, but most importantly, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Ron, for a wonderful introduction, for one, <laughs> and uh, and to both you and Chris for having me. I, I'm really excited to be here and looking forward to finding out what we can do here. Absolutely, Tyler. One of the things that intrigued me about your profile is that the safest job you've had is jumping out of windows. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. True story, actually, the safest job that I had was jumping out of windows. And that was when I was lucky enough to get to do uh, stunt work as part of my film and television career. I started very early in life, six years old on stage and really, really fell in love with performance. And in my late teens was blessed to have the opportunity to both audition for and get cast in a lot of film and television work. And in my early 20s, uh, just being exposed to a lot more film and television, having moved to Vancouver, I was able to do some stunt work with some incredible professionals. I myself am not a, a stunt man per se. I'm an actor who has on occasion done stunts, but I was very, very lucky to to get to work with some amazing 
stunt professionals who helped me look really, really good on film. And that was, that was just fun, but it, it really is the safest job that I ever had because the amount of planning that goes into that to make what looks like a dangerous activity safe so that you don't have headlines splashed all over the news about how you've killed a performer on set is astronomical, really. The, the, it's a Herculean effort that goes into making sure that stunt professionals walk away from their stunts and their craft each day uh, and go back to their family. So it is the safest job that I ever had. And I can confidently say that as a safety professional now, as uh, Total Buy-In is, is primarily focused on safety programs and um, putting together corporate safety culture, um, I can say that uh, it is the safest job that I ever had. Mm, that's super intriguing. So tell us a little bit about this journey because you you went from being in the performance arts to going into the safety realm. Now you're speaking to people about speaking in general in stage fright. Tell us a little bit about that transition and how you got to where you are today. Well, the journey seems circuitous when you look from the past going forward. But when I look in reverse, it, it was just a straight shot. It was exactly how it was supposed to be. I was in the performing arts for 20 years, from six to 25. And then I got really kind of jaded and complacent with it all. I, I remember the, the exact moment when I realized I needed to take a break. I was driving back from an audition. And at that point, I had moved from Vancouver to the interior of BC, British Columbia here in Canada. And it was about a three hour commute for me to get from where I was living in Penticton, which is a beautiful, beautiful city in the interior of BC, right on, right in the middle of the mountains, right in the Okanagan Valley, where it's famous for fruit and, and orchards and, and a beautiful, beautiful lake, Lake Okanagan. And, um, it's just, it, it is paradise. It is absolute paradise. And I remember being on my way home from this audition, just about to reach the end of cell reception because you have to go through a national park and you just have no signal for like 45 minutes and getting a call from my agent saying, oh yeah, they want you for a callback and me going, okay, when? And she's like, now. And I remember in that instant being like, oh, I don't want to go back for a callback. And as an actor, I mean, that's, that's, the second best thing to getting cast. Like you did a good enough job that they want to see you again. And ironically, I did turn around and get cast in that role. But I remember in that moment thinking, how spoiled am I that I have this career that millions of other people would die to have. And even the people who are doing it would want to be in the position that I'm in. And here, I don't want to turn around on a road and drive the hour back into town to, uh, to go do this callback. So I decided I needed to take a break. I went and I went back to school, got um, an engineering discipline in geomatics, which is a fancy way of saying I studied the earth and made maps. Mm -hmm. And I specialized in photogrammetry, which is aerial photography that gets stitched together. So if anybody's ever seen or used Google Maps, which I'm assuming everybody who is listening to this has at some point, and you've turned on satellite view, a lot of that imagery actually doesn't come from satellites. It comes from planes and uh, flying at fairly low altitude and taking pictures of the ground, whether they're digital or um, traditional analog film. And I used to scan those images and stitch them together in what are called photo mosaics and ortho photos and make uh, really fancy maps of the earth. And that was that was the first 
business that I created. I specialized in it at school and then started my own company doing that very thing, uh, which failed miserably. But one of the primary clients that you have doing that kind of work is the government. And the government requires that you have a safety system in place. And so I had to develop the safety system and, and get all this safety training so that I could create this small company of mine with seven to 10 employees and, you know, three pilots, three planes, a uh, couple million dollars worth of equipment and, and, uh, and some good knowledgeable staff. We needed to keep them safe, particularly the pilots and have processes and procedures in place. So I got all the safety training and when the business collapsed, you know, I didn't know what to do. And a friend of mine reached out and he said, listen, I've gotten this big oil and gas contract for my construction company that I'm doing. And I need a full-time safety manager. And you've got most of the training. Uh, we need these other three courses to get your national construction safety officer designation. If I paid for your training, would you be interested in doing that? And so I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I needed change. I needed something to do. I didn't consider going back to acting. And so I, I started doing the safety gig. And doing the safety gig, I found that I was incredibly effective, not because I knew a lot about safety, because the reality is I, I didn't. Um, there are so many more professionals out there who know so much more about safety, who've invested so much more time than I have, because I got into the gig late. But what I do really well is communicate, and probably better than 99% of the safety professionals out there because of my acting background. So what ended up happening is I had a whole bunch of people who were smarter than me coming to me asking how it was that I sounded smarter than them. And so I said, well, I can show you the secrets. I can show you the tricks. And I started training safety professionals on how to give better, more engaging presentations. And then they passed that along to their executives. Hey, I know this guy who can do some really good training. Maybe you would like to take this training. And then the executives took the training and then they wanted to get their supervisors to take the training. And then friends of friends wanted to take the training. And the next thing I knew, I had stepped away from the safety gig as, as a safety professional and really started exploring this public speaking training aspect and getting people comfortable speaking to groups in in small and large scenarios to the point where now my safety company is still there um, and is still running and is is very successful but I do almost no safety within that umbrella most of the safety that is done within it is done by other people that I've hired who keep that business afloat and now I specialize in this in this training for public speaking so like I said it seems circuitous when I'm looking forward, but looking back, it was kind of a straight path because I've always been a natural born leader, a natural born performer. And this is just my passion. I love showing people how to do this on a full-time basis. First off, thank you for making something like training, uh, safety training interesting because we actually <laughs> have the same issue in cybersecurity. A lot of the cybersecurity awareness or cybersecurity training that organizations have to do for their employees is extremely boring. It's it's almost mind-numbing. But there's this new wave of professionals like yourself that are helping organizations make training more effective. So thank you for doing that. And it makes me wonder a bit about your personal mission because it seems like you're able to use these skills from acting. You're able to use these skills from presenting and also auxiliary knowledge to start these businesses. What is your mission as you're going through this, this motion of helping actors and teams and now even safety professionals and speakers? 
Well, Ron, like you said, one of the worst things that has happened to corporate America is we all have to go to these meetings and these meetings are boring and they don't need to be because the information that's being presented is often very critical, critical to a, the success of the company, critical from you know keeping people alive. Like a safety meeting is not something that's done because we have to do it. It's done because if this information isn't translated effectively to those employees, people could die. <laughs> and too often we go to these meetings and are distracted by our device because the presenter is not engaging and we're not engaged and there's no reason to be engaged. And that's the big key there. There's no reason to be engaged in our minds. The reality is we need to be engaged. This information is important. It's critical to the success of our company. It's critical to the success of the organization. And if the organization doesn't succeed, we don't have a job. So we should be more invested. But the fact of the matter is this material is presented in a way where we are not invested. And so my mission because I know that it literally can save lives, whether that's an actual prevention of an incident that creates a fatality or is delivering critical information that allows a company to thrive so that those lives can be the best that they can be because they're still making an income. The key to that is delivering that information in a way that people sit up and want to listen. It just irks me every time I have to sit through a boring presentation because I know that it doesn't need to be. Because there are simple fixes to making those presentations interesting. There are things that can be implemented in less than five minutes. I've made it my personal mission to never, ever, ever have to sit through a boring meeting again and to pass that along to everyone else because nothing feels worse than sitting in a meeting that you don't want to be in and feeling that it's a waste of your time. One of the things that I think is incredible about what you're saying is that it's really on the speaker. Sometimes we talk about being good listeners, right? And I think there's sort of like a meeting in the middle of these two paradigms, but there's definitely a lot of responsibility on the speaker, the storyteller. So what are some of the things to get listeners re-engaged with stories? I think we used to be really practiced as human beings when we used to give our knowledge through stories, but I feel like we've really gone away from that altogether. And people have lost the art of storytelling. What are some of the pieces of advice that you give to folks about re-engaging the listener with the story? Well, to remember that you're a listener at some point as well. And Chris, you bring up a really good point. We, for not just, you know, centuries, but eons, eons as a human species have communicated through the power of story. And you got to remember that not very long ago, Oral communication was how we communicated because the majority of the world couldn't read the written word. Like literacy, I think we take for advantage in the 20th and 21st century, the fact that literacy is as high as it is currently, because for, you don't even have to go back 200, 300 years and the literacy rate would be a quarter of what it is right now, if not more. And It's through story that we truly learn best. That's how we get the imagery. That's how we get immersed into the the reason and the why. So if you want to, first of all, engage your audience, so never mind re-engaging them, engaging your audience, you need to give a personal story, a personal investment yourself. 
instead of giving it from a, uh, a you standpoint, this is what I have found. This was my experience. This is what I feel about this information. And then the key to that is, and, and it's so simple, is once you've expressed why it's important to you, find out why it's important to your audience. Elicit their feedback instantaneously. If you have a 15-minute meeting, you shouldn't be speaking for more than five. I found that when I am the most effective in my training is when I speak less than the people that I'm training. My job as a trainer is to guide you to find the connection to uh, the information that I'm presenting to why it's important to you in your in your life, in your job, in your circumstances. And the only way that I can make that connection is if I find out what your job, your circumstances, what your rationale for being in this training session is for. And I can't do that if I'm talking. I need you to be talking to do that. So if people want to engage, they need to give a personal reason why they're invested in that material up front so that their audience understands why they're there and then start soliciting information from your audience. I saw an interesting stat that if you are having a dialogue with your audience in that you are speaking and they are speaking, the audience engagement is around 92%. And that 8% is probably because you can't keep everybody's rapt attention and you just don't know where people are meeting you at. Like maybe they've had a really long day or, you know, they didn't get any sleep last night and they're just, no matter what you would do, they would be tuned out. But 92% of the audience will be engaged if you're having a dialogue. But if you're having a monologue where it's just you speaking and they're just sitting there and being talked to, the engagement goes down to 78%. That's a 14% reduction right off the bat by not asking them how they're doing. Mm. So if you want to engage your audience, engage your audience, like actually talk to them, (laughs) find out how they're doing and get them to contribute to the conversation and have a conversation as opposed to a dictation. And you'd be surprised at how quickly your meetings become the best meetings anybody's ever attended. So I have a very selfish question for myself with this world of digital transformation, you know, we're doing more stuff in Zoom. We're doing more stuff online in general. And also this podcast right now is remote. How do you engage with your audience if you're really speaking one way? You're speaking into a Zoom and your audience is maybe a conference just listening in. What is the best ways to tell stories and engage with the audience in that situation? Well, first of all, uh, Les Brown says it better than I can. So I'm going to quote Les. Never tell a story without a point but never make a point without a story. Mm. So if you want to engage your audience and you have limited means to elicit feedback from them and understand that you can still do it, Ron, like you can, you can get information, even though these, a lot of these mediums feel one way you're, you and Chris are doing a podcast right now, right? Hacker Valley studio, but people are tuning in and listening. Or you wouldn't have you wouldn't have the audience that you have. You wouldn't have the ability to do this. So there's people who are listening to this right now. You can ask them for input, right? Give us a five star review. That's the first one. That you will know if they're engaged with what you're saying because they're giving you five star reviews. And if they're not giving you five star reviews, ask why. What can we do to do better? Put it in the show notes. Put it in the comments. You know, give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. What was your favorite episode? What was your biggest takeaway that you've gotten? 
continuing to reach out to your audience to ask them to participate. You know, if you have a fan page or a Facebook page, hey, leave some comments on who you'd like to see next up on Hacker Valley. Like, what what can we do to really serve you? What are some topics that are burning in your mind? And that's that audience analysis piece. So even if you can't talk to them directly in an instantaneous feedback loop, you can still engage them to ask for their information. Because if you're addressing it up front, hey, what would you like to hear? And then you have somebody say, well, we really want to learn about the newest advances in blockchain and how that's helping uh, cybersecurity or what are the breaches that are now happening? How have people discovered uh, workarounds within the blockchain and how is that being addressed through cybersecurity? Well, if somebody's asking that, that's a very specific question. So you bring on the expert or you guys might know the answer and, and that can lead the content so that you can say next week, we're going to be talking about XYZ and they go, oh, I wanted to hear about XYZ. You're right. You're allowing your audience to dictate the content that they want. And that is, that is always of service of them. And on Zooms, Zoom, I mean, there's a chat for a reason, right? And I think it is used incorrectly in a lot of training things, right? If everybody's on board, type a one. Well, no, don't do that. What if from that message resonated with you? Type in the comments the biggest takeaway that you had so far. And that will provide the people will be like, oh, I remember this thing. And that will provide the feedback that is important for you because now you know what part of your message is landing and resonating, which part of your message is not landing or resonating or things that you maybe need to follow up on and cover or things that that are really solid that you know that you're doing well. All of that can be done even on a digital medium, even if the um, feedback loop is not instantaneous. You can still create that feedback loop so that you can get the information. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is exactly what happened to Ron and I. We just did a conference, I think it was last week. And one of the questions was, what are the three things you want us to take away from this discussion? And we said, why don't we flip it on you all? What is the top thing that each one of you has taken away from this discussion? And it was just flooded with different aspects, even some aspects that I thought were kind of meh, but it really resonated with somebody else. I'm going to put you on the spot because I know you're a practice storyteller. You're a practice trainer. What is the driest thing that you've ever had to teach and convey? And what was the story that you conveyed to your students that got them interested in that very dry subject matter? Oh, that's easy, Chris. Fall protection. (laughs) Nobody cares about fall protection, especially because I'm usually teaching roofers on the importance of why they have to harness up and tie down. And they're like, we don't even wear shoes when we're on a roof. Why would we listen to you? And so the way that I caught their attention is exactly what you alluded to off of the top of the show that the safest job that I ever had was jumping out of a window. You tell people that you jumped out of a window for a living and be like, so there I was standing six stories in the air, staring down at a pile of cardboard boxes and every instinct in me was to stay where I was. And then I jumped, you know, you, that'll grab people's attention, right? (laughs) Like, where did you fall into a pile of cardboard boxes? Why did you do that? Because I was paid to do it, (laughs) you know, and was it safe? Safest thing I ever did. And then when you can tell somebody that the safest thing you ever did was jump out of a six story window into a a pile of, you know, six deep 20 by 40 foot pile of, of these cardboard boxes that are sitting six feet in the air. 
And that's safer than what they're doing running around on a roof putting shingles on. That they will open up their eyes and then be like, you know, who, who here is ever just about falling off of a pitch? Who here is, you know, just about taking a header from 15, 20, 25 feet? What do you think would have happened if you hadn't caught yourself? Would a harness have been a good backup in that scenario? And then you start talking to them. What are the realities? And what are and why don't you wear the harness? Like their their opinions are still valid. I don't have to agree with them, but they they have their rationale for why they don't like it. Maybe the lines get uh, caught up in the way, which would to me indicate that they are using their equipment incorrectly. That they're they're not creating um, safe anchor points, and and so they are actually creating a more dangerous environment for them in the way that they're doing their setup. But that doesn't mean that the harness itself is not going to protect them. It just means that their setup is incorrect. But I don't know that until I talk to them. I need their information. And the problem is, is if I just dictate, you should, you should, you should, you should, and you should all over people, nobody likes getting shit on. <laughs> and they're not going to listen. Definitely not. But if you, right? But if you ask them, hey, how, what, how, what was your experience with this? And then somebody else was going to have a different experience and be like, oh, well, when I did it, it went like this. And then it, the group can inform itself and you can have that hive mind collective learning experience. And that's when you truly get a good education is through the sharing of ideas, not the shooting of ideas. That is perfect advice. And also an interesting story to hear about. I mean, because it's so compelling when you hear that you were the one jumping out of windows and bringing up the story about them almost dying or being fatally injured. But one of the things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is your book. The Power to Speak Naked. I wanted to ask you a bit about the book. What was the reason that you wrote it? And what were some things that you learned while writing it? Well, the, the thing that I learned while I was writing it is that you don't have to write a book. You can speak a book, <laughs> which was so much more helpful for somebody who is a professional presenter to not have to actually type. I, I actually spoke my book. We took all of my training sessions and grabbed the audio from it, then transcribed the audio, and then uh, compiled that to, to make the book. So I actually didn't write it. I spoke it. And the reason I created the book was because I am, I am one of me, right. And even on a show like this, where I can come on and have a great conversation with you guys and, you know, reach your social following. So we'll assume 20,000 people, right. Which is incredible. There's still only one me. And if they want more information, I can't go to each person individually, but they can get the book or they can get the resources or they can grab some of the um, online training that we do. And all of that stuff is available with inside the pages of the book. So the book was just a, a, a means to an end to a lessen my workload and help people when I can't physically be there. And that was the whole goal of it was just to make myself available to people who maybe can't be available to me and have a much wider reach. And so it was just an honor and a privilege to put it together. I, I have been blessed to have it hit the number one list a few times on Amazon. That is always just a, a thrill. I, I, when it happens and you know, my publisher will phone and be like, Hey, hey, look at who made the number one list. And I'm like, seriously, I am always amazed that people are willing to read that book 
but I, you know, it was a labor of love and I, I appreciate every person who purchases a copy because, um, they don't have to, they can spend their money elsewhere. You know, it's 17 bucks that could probably buy them a Starbucks and they chose to read a book instead. I remember when I first began my speaking journey and I used to start out just like everybody else. Hello, my name is Chris Cochran and this is my Ted talk, right? And then yeah. I, I had some speaker training and I always, just about always start with a story and it really changed how I presented. It changed how people listened. It drew people in and it really changed how I was in general. I became obsessed with stories. I, I've always loved stories because I'm a big movie buff, but now today stories are pretty much my entire life. And one of the things that you talk about on your platform and in your books is that everybody has a story to tell, but people have a hard time pulling that story out. So there's someone that's listening right now and it's like, I want to tell stories, but I don't know what stories to tell or even how to tell my story. What is that one piece of advice that you would have for that person? Well, the, the piece of advice is that you do have a story. Everybody has a story. And even though you may not think that your life is interesting or, oh, I don't, you know, I didn't do these great things or, you know, a lot of that self doubt and negative talk that people have, you have a story and there is somebody in the world who looks up to you and goes, man, I wish I could do what they did. If only I knew how they did it. And that's really the story that you need to, to tell because you never know who needs to hear it. And that's the real key. You don't know who needs to hear your story until you start telling your story. So if you're thinking to yourself, I don't have a story, uh, the reality is you do. And one of the exercises that we do in all of my workshops is real easy to translate the first part of it anyways to a, a podcast group. And that is, I want you to divide your life by five. However old you are, divide it into five even time periods. And don't worry about getting precise too. Like I'm 42, so I'm not going to divide my life into... 8.12 <laughs> years, right? I'm going to divide it into eight even chunks, eight years a piece. And then I'll use old third grade math, right? Divide to the whole and then take the remainder. And I'll just take that remainder and chunk it on to the beginning of my life because nobody ever remembers their first two years anyways. So for me, my first time period is going to be uh, from zero to 10. Your guys's time periods will be different. Whatever your age is, just simple math. Divide it into five time periods and then look at that first time period and go, what is the most significant memory I have from that time period? Like what stands out? Because I guarantee you, if I told you to think back right now to your childhood from zero to 10, what is the, what is the most significant memory you have? What is the thing that stands out the most in your mind? Is it a smell? Is it a, a sound? Is it an event? Is it a thing? Is it a toy? Is it a person? Like it, it's something. If I told you, think back right now, the first memory you have or your most significant memory that you have, the one you come back to from zero to 10, what is it? And you'll have a memory. And then you just do that again. So the next time period, the second time period, what's the most significant memory? Third time period, most significant memory. Fourth time period, most significant memory. And then the fifth time period, most significant memory. Guarantee you have at least five significant memories in your life that you stand back and you go, oh, that thing, it, it, it's always on my mind if I think about it for a moment. And then you just have to ask yourself why. And it's in that exploration of why that you will find why it's meaningful to you. And if it's meaningful to you, it will be meaningful to somebody else who is in a similar situation to you who needs to hear who you were. 
So you just speak to yourself at that time, period. And the people who need to hear that message will receive it openly and willingly and wantingly. But the key is, is to do that, that exploration first and figure out what those significant memories are and why they're significant to you. Tyler, that was an absolute incredible piece of advice. First, I wanted to just say thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us today. It was truly an honor. But second, I would love for you to let everyone know how they can keep up to date with you and all the incredible things that you're doing today. Well, Chris, I appreciate that opportunity, but I'm not giving that information out for free. (laughs) So what I need your audience to do right now is if they're listening, like if they tune in regularly to you and Ron and Hacker Valley Studio, if they're getting value out of coming on and hearing what you guys are presenting each and every episode, then I want them to, to do me a favor, hit pause on whatever device they're listening to this on right now and give you that five-star review, <laughs> give you the feedback that you need so that you guys can, can bring what they're finding value in to the airwaves. And if they're not going to do that, I'm not going to tell them how to get a hold of it. So they need to hit pause right now. And now that they've come back and they did that for you and they did that favor for me, I will tell them that if they want to reach me, they can find me at seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, seantylerfoley.com. And I have all kinds of resources there. I have my uh, calendar there. Uh, We have a couple of free downloads for them. We have a link so that they can join my private Facebook group. It's free. And in there, I teach every Tuesday at three o'clock Eastern noon Pacific. I do a 20 minute training presentation on whatever the group has decided because I elicit information from them, what they need to work on that week. I do a 20 minute uh, live training presentation inside that group. And then we drop as much value as we can throughout the week uh, to really support the lessons that we're training on. So that's always available to them. But the quickest way to find everything, including copies of the book, downloads, my schedule, whatever you need is to go to seantylerfoley.com. Tell them Tyler sent you. And uh, I'll make sure to, to be in contact with everybody who comes through that way and help them in any way that I can. Perfect. Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us. And also, thank you, listener, for that five-star review that Tyler just recommended you to give. (laughs) And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.